1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless, on today's show, folks, one of my favorite topics, Ed, best books that we read last year. Yeah, this is our
2: most complained about show every year, Ron, because people get on Twitter and go, oh, now now I've got four more things on my Kindle that I can't read.
1: Yes. We're going to hopefully bloat your anti-library. Exactly. That's the plan. (laughs) But Hey, we're running an experiment. Do you, did you want to mention that?
2: Yeah, we're broadcasting on LinkedIn live, uh, we using our cell phones now, but hopefully we're going to be able to work out this technology. So it's a little bit more seamless in the future. Um, but it's gonna be fun. So, so far so good. And, and we'll see, let, let, let us know if, if those of you are out there listening and, uh, We'll, we'll plan to try to make this work in the future even a little bit better. So,
1: All right. Well, that sounds great. Um, okay, Ed, this, uh, this is the way I did this. I'm not sure if you followed these guidelines, but I didn't include any books that we discussed with a guest on the show last year.
2: I agree with so, that statement. So I ha- I have, yes, that is correct. We do and, not have any of these folks on, on the show of the books that I read.
1: And there were some 12 books I read of guests, you know, oh, like, yeah. like Mustafa and Virginia Postrel and Mark Stiving and David mm-hmm. Baker, you know, um, so I excluded them. So I've got my top five for the year and I'll just start with number five and it's a business book, believe it or not, or at least it was written as a business book
3: mm-hmm.
0: and
1: it's, it's title is humor comma, seriously, <laughs> why humor <laughs> is a secret weapon in business and life. Jennifer Aker and Naomi. Bagdonis, um it was actually for a business book but its theme was hey humor is actually a competitive advantage Mm -hmm. uh you can you can dispute that i think i do i wasn't convinced and then they also cited a bunch of studies you know that i kept saying i doubt if this is replicable (laughs) right (laughs) the replicability crisis but yeah they've made some good points and of course we love humor so the law of levity is allowed to supersede the law of gravity i thought that was a great line Mm -hmm. um they talked about and i didn't i've never heard this deloitte wrote a program that sifted through emails and caught bs business words and they called it bullfighter (laughs) the program (laughs) was called bullfighter Mm -hmm. um and they quote a guy from apple's creative design studio and this kind of ties in with howard hansen fear is the greatest killer of creativity and humor is the most effective tool i found for insulating cultures from fear i think there's a lot of truth to that
2: oh yeah Um, absolutely in in fact in healing leaders and i've heard howard talk, talk about this is that the leaders use of sense of a sense of humor at at times of stress is one of one of the key elements of a healing leader
1: yeah yeah and they and they they they, they mentioned that in the book that humor diffuses situations hard to mm-hmm. be have animosity when you're laughing together you know mm-hmm. and they quote john cleese and a whole bunch of other people but um it reminded me I, I i remember seeing this and it was a real sign uh on a morgue i think it was inside the morgue probably in the places you don't get to go but it, the sign read our day begins when yours ends <laughs> <laughs> and somebody posted that, and you should have seen the negative comments, and I thought, you know, how could you find that offensive? That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, if you had that job, you would need that type of, you know, release. You have to laugh. Absolutely. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're going to go nuts. Uh, uh,
2: Gallows humor is a very real thing. I've, it, I, I don't know if I've told this story. We, my family has very, I would say, inappropriate humor at funerals, at funerals. The, the, my, my my uncle who's the last surviving member of, of that generation says the Kless family we put the fun in funerals <laughs>
1: oh, i see and i think that's awesome i <laughs> i i think that's awesome uh one one last thing and then you can give your number five mm-hmm. but uh I, and i forgot about this from president obama's 2011 state of the union address he said the Interior Department is in charge of salmon while they're in fresh water. But the Commerce Department handles them when they're in salt water. And then he paused and he said, I hear it gets even more complicated once they're smoked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. uh, cracked me up. So, So humor seriously, why humor is a secret weapon in business. I found it an enjoyable read, even though I didn't agree with all of it.
2: Fair enough. Well, you know, I don't have a number five, Ron. I only have four. Okay. Uh, So, so I'm just going to jump into my, and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing these in any particular order. I don't even have a countdown this year. I just have four, four books that I'm listing as best books. Uh, And you know, deal with it. (laughs) That's that's the way it's going to go. The first one is one I think we've talked about a number of times, and we've wanted to have this person on the show, but we have not been able to connect. And that the, the, the book is called uh, The Data Detective by Tim Harford. And really absolutely love this book for a couple of reasons. There's two I'm going to point out uh, that I, that I want to mention. The first is the story in the opening chapter about experts in Vermeer. And I'm just gonna d- r- r- not really really read, but just talk about one, this this section of the book. This guy Abraham, uh, Bredeus, Bredius B R E D I U S, was an expert in Vermeer's and had you know spotted some twenty uh, works that were uh, wrongly credited to Vermeer, and that's over the, the the time that he was this art critic. And well, in 1937 he was kind of in his retirement, and he. Had also identified over 200 fake or imitation Rembrandts as well, and then this guy shows up at his Monaco villa uh, with a, with a newly discovered work called Christ at Emmaus that he says this was per- painted by Vermeer himself. Well, this this old guy Bredeus was absolutely spellbound by this, and he said, "Okay, this is a Vermeer," but I'm going to read you the quote that he uses to describe this Vermeer. Ready? This is what he says. We have here, I am inclined to say, the masterpiece of Johann's Vermeer of Delft. Quote, quite different from his other paintings <laughs> and yet every inch of Vermeer. Well, it turns out that this thing was not a Vermeer at all. But this 83-year-old guy just so wanted to believe that he had discovered a Vermeer that he just ignored all of the signs that it was. And then the book goes through all of these different things that he should have picked up on. But just just listen to that quote again. Quite different from all of his other paintings and yet every inch of Vermeer <laughs>
1: Yeah, the warning bell should have been kind of ringing on that. R-
2: ringing in <laughs> his own ear, right? Yeah, and, th- yeah. and and, and I, this is just a great opening story to this book about paying attention to the, the data and really not getting sucked in to what your belief system are and your priors are around all of this data. And it, it's just an excellent book. But the second thing that I w- want to point out uh, in this book is go- all of you go into chapter nine, or actually it's it, what he calls rule nine. And he doesn't really have chapters in this book. He has different rules. And the, the rule nine is about, um, uh, keep, I'm sorry, rule nine is about remember that in- misinformation can be beautiful too. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how uh, Florence Nightingale, of all people, developed... A data diagram uh, that uh, she she called uh, rose her Ro- rose uh, diagrams, and th- they're na- they're now known actually as uh, Nightingale diagrams, named after her. So you know she's famous for for being this very compassionate, humble servant of, of uh, and and uh, doing wonderful things for the I forget where she was at the uh, Army Medical Board or something, and but she developed this diagram that really displays data in such a way, especially when you're comparing year-over-year year statistics for things like the flu and, oh, coronavirus. And what was really neat about this is I had been doing, on my personal blog, a chart of, of the coronavirus uh, statistics and showing that there was clearly upticks and, sp- and spikes in the overall number of deaths in the United States
1: excess deaths
2: excess deaths right yeah. cuz th- this is something you, you, you cannot you cannot fake this right this, right. this is the, right. there's there's no there's no dispute about this now can you dispute that they were from corona sure i'm not making that claim but i am saying that there is literally an uptick in the number of deaths and the number of people who kind of pushed back when I first did the diagram, it, because I was showing year over year statistics and I was showing them in a in a line chart. Mm-hmm. As soon as I came across this book, I've discovered that Excel has this the ability to do a nightingale chart as well. And I put the diagram in a, in a nightingale chart. And gosh, I gotta tell you that the response to it since then has has really really been much much higher and much more favorable. Because of the way that these diagrams display the information, and it's just a reminder that that there, th- and it reminds me of uh, of uh, Edwin uh, Edward Tufta's book, who I think uh, w- was mm. was on my list way back when uh, mm-hmm. when we we've it done uh, a, c- a couple of years ago, um, and his book about uh, uh, beautiful uh, evidence, beautiful evidence, yeah, and how charts uh, when done well can really make a difference. And he, he, of course, in this chart is t- talking about misinformation, that you can chart up misinformation, and that's not all that great. <laughs> but uh, I, it, was just, it was just fascinating. So I really love this book. Highly recommend uh, the book, The Data Detective by Tim Hartford. So there's, there's, my, there's my push on it.
1: It's, uh, it's on my list too, Ed. It's number six, so we won't is get it to really? it until the bonus episode. But one of the things I really liked about his 10 rules, uh, it, what, what, he's arguing against statistical cynicism. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Sure, it's easy to lie with statistics, but it's even easier to lie without them." Yes. And I, I really thought that that perspective was very helpful. And he and, and I loved, and I'm sure you did too. The he takes on the Oxfam's absurd claim that 85 richest people as wealthy as the poorest half of the world. Mm-hmm. He said, "Any idiot knows that an ordinary schoolboy and his piggy bank are richer than a billion people put together." <laughs> I mean, it's just completely useless yeah. statistic, right? Use, useless statistic. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, yeah. he is great. I wish we could get him on the show. Did he go on Russ Roberts? Uh, I don't remember if he was.
2: I don't on think God. he did. Not for this book. I think Not he's for been on book. for maybe, his, maybe some of his previous work.
1: I know uh, he's been but, on some other ones, Free Thoughts mm-hmm. maybe or whatever. But yeah, yeah it's good stuff. Well, that's excellent. All right. Well, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at com. Check us out at patreon.com slash TSOE. You can become a member. That channel is now sponsored by 90 minds. Get ahead, hire a mind, check them out at 90minds.com. And at a certain tier in our Patreon membership, you can get a shout out on the show like Geraldine Carter, check Geraldine out at shethinksbigcoaching.com and her podcast, smart strategy for CPAs podcast. And now a word from our sponsors.
2: Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome.
1: It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports.
2: Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com
3: for just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download.
1: Well, welcome back everybody. We're talking about the best books that we read last year. And Ed, my number four is a book. Mm-hmm. It's not really a business book, but it, it it's certainly got business relevance. Right. It's called Counting, How We Use Numbers to Decide What Matters by Deborah mm-hmm. Stone. And okay. you know, she points out in order to count, we must first categorize, which is full of subjective bias. There's, And she gives many, many, many examples. Census Bureau, right? How, how do you mm-hmm. classify people all of that uh, measuring pain you know how the doctor in the hospital always asks you what's your scale pain of one to to ten one to yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she goes into great detail about that there's all sorts of issues with that it's subjective well
2: it's completely subjective yeah.
1: yeah absolutely the unemployed policing crime parole decision I mean on and on she's got great stories she goes stories are just data with a soul and this book is really about how to put the soul back into numbers and here's kind of one of her big conclusions, the existential Mm -hmm. dilemma of counting. How can we possibly count things if not one of them is like another, right? The only way to count things is to categorize them by ignoring their differences. So we categorize by ignoring the differences between red fish, blue fish, fast fish, Mm -hmm. slow fish, right? They're all fish. And as we're counting them, we ignore the differences even more. Um, and I think another one of her lessons that I really took to heart is numbers don't have a purpose, people do. Mm. Uh, I just found this book incredibly thought-provoking all the way through, just giving her examples and I uh, just love the way that she put it together. This book is very similar to uh, another book by Jerry Mueller called The Tyranny of Metrics, which I think was one, one of my best business books a few years back. Mm-hmm. David Boyle's book, The Sum of Our Discontent, and of course, I have to mention my own "Measure What Matters." Uh, some of the same thinking and themes run through all three of these books, all four of these books. Uh, but I really liked it. "Counting: How We Use Numbers to Decide What Matters" by Deborah Stone.
2: Yeah, yeah. Does doesn't Thomas Soul uh, make that point? I think he even made it on our show about data collection.
1: Yeah. Like, when when do you collect the data? Yeah. When do you yeah. collect the data? You know, yeah. if you collect, you're collecting it at the time of their first or second job, but you know, there's influences that go all the way back that yeah. are just the data is silent about. Yeah. And
2: then, of um, course, our, our, our other favorite story about was it Hong Kong and Postal Wave? Is that, did I get that name?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, Coop, Cooper Cooperthwaite. Yeah, there's Cooper dispute. He was like, no, no, we're not.
2: No, we're not going. No, we're not. No, we're not going
1: to no, do that because if we count, and and what I liked about this it wasn't just about you know we've been bagging on models right since mm. the whole COVID thing. You know, all models are wrong. Some of them are useful, but this book was about counting, which yeah. you would think would be you know one, two, three. three, I, three. Mean, what's, <laughs> but, I mean, and probably as as you were talking last uh, segment about the excess deaths. I thought, you know, that's probably one count that there's no subjective bias in. You're mm-hmm. dead, you're alive, yeah, right? It's, it's kind of, it's, it's <laughs> you're right. It's kind of, yeah. Um, but uh, now died from what? And all of that. that right. That, that's that, still you know, all that's subjective. A, absolutely.
2: From, with, you know, all of this, the, 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 these, these different things. But, right, yeah. Yep. But, all right. You know. So so next one up on my list is pretty controversial, <laughs> but okay. you know, oh, good, I'm not going to shy away from it. Okay, good. Uh, this is John McWhorter's book, Woke Racism, How a New Religion Has Betrayed Black America. And uh, I am um, echoing the thoughts of McWhorter by even bringing this book up because his admonition to all of us is that we, we've got to all start to push back on yep. On, on what's happening here, and it, did, did I have some some uh, misgivings about potentially talking about this one? Yep, I did, but I got to have the courage of my convictions. So uh, what he points out, he says that that this new anti-racism is a religion. He says it's not like a religion; it is a religion, <laughs> and he he really takes takes this through, and it's a. Uh, he, he does say, and I, I really like this, that he, his intention in writing this book is not to convince the people who are, uh, woke, um, and anti-racist and all this to, to change, change what they're saying. He says, they're not going to, he said, this is a direct quote from the book. Uh, my interest is not, how do we get through to these people, meaning those, but we, we cannot at least to, to the, uh, at least not enough of them to matter my question is how can we live graciously among them and i thought it was an, that was another extraordinarily healing leadership howard hansen type statement and i that i really connected with but he, i mean he just he just drives this home that 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 this stuff is is rather dangerous and that it is absolutely a, a religion he, he. I think he, it has uh, original sin. Uh, it has uh, disc You can, you can be, you can be excommunicated from this movement. It's got Thai it's its yep. priests. It's got Thai priests. It's got all of these. He, and he calls this, and I love another great phrase. And this is why McBoater is just a fantastic writing. He says it is a catechism of contradictions. What a great phrase. <laughs> but, but
1: there's no redemption in it and yes
2: there's no re-
3: yeah
1: yep you can't be redeemed you can't you show penance nothing will work you're canceled that's it you're done mm-hmm. down the memory hole and that's what's so pernicious about it yeah. yeah yeah i you know he's been on c-span he's done an in-depth in-depth interview there he did the one with npr i think i talked to you about i don't know if you listened mm-hmm. to it but the gal was going nuts at the end of the interview and kind of blew up at him literally was mm-hmm. was really out of control for her and he handled it with just dignity and grace and this guy's no right winger i mean he's like you know i listen to npr i i go to all the wine and brie parties you know he's this i'm a professor for crying out loud
3: at columbia
1: yeah yeah he's like i'm not i'm not you know fox news you know contributor yeah. or whatever and yeah very well balanced very sane guy i love i've always loved john McWhorter. he's great yeah
2: yeah fantastic
1: he's, he's right up there with shelby Steele. And Thomas Sowell, and just just a great thinker.
2: Yeah. Uh, the The other thing I just want to quickly point out that I really like is the, his phrase "the elect," and that's what you're talking about, the high yeah. priest. That they have this yeah, thing the called elect. the elect, and I re- he goes through a, about a half a chapter on why he uses that word. Um, and again, as a linguist, you can you can see why he's really thought this this stuff through. Uh, so I, I, anyway, work, woke racism: How Our new religion has betrayed Black America by John McWhorter on my list of best books, 2021.
1: Great. Great stuff. All right. My number three is a book. I think I talked to you about it as I was reading it. Cause I was thoroughly enjoying it, reading it. It's called professor at large, the Cornell years. And it's by John Cleese. Mm. He was nominated by Cornell. They have a program called professor at large where, you know, you, you, uh, you're appointed for a six year term and you have to visit the campus at least twice. Uh, for two weeks at a time each year, mm-hmm. and you can do whatever you want. So you know, usually they're giving lectures or hosting lectures or interviewing you know people or whatever. He did all that. He served two more years in that program, and then they cooked up another title for him because they wanted to keep him you know attached to the campus. And it's 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 a this book is a collection of his seminars, lectures, Q and A sessions. It's not a funny book, and I wasn't expecting it to be. I mean, mm. Cleese has a very serious side to him. Sure. He's, he's interested in religion, psychology, how the mind works. I, th- I thought one of the best chapters was uh, a screenwriting seminar he held with Bill Goldman, who wrote Bush Cassidy, the mo- you know the screenplay for that, and he mm-hmm. wrote the screenplay for Misery. Um, and he talks about how you adapt a book to a screenplay and the differences and all the subtleties of doing that. Um, he was also the guy who coined the term in Hollywood, nobody knows anything.
2: That's his <laughs> line.
1: <laughs> um, and he talks about in one chapter why the Secret Service investigators are the, are best at detecting lying. So I'm not going to give anything away, but that was fascinating. And what's the f- uh, f- f- uh, f- f- Fibonacci...
2: Fibonacci sequence? sequence ah yes my, one of my uh, favorite sequences yes
1: it's it it applies to beauty mm-hmm. and the discussion on that is mind-blowing mm-hmm. mind-blowing yeah um i obviously don't agree with cleese you know he's got very specific views about religion philosophy politics capitalism um versus equality all of that um but man is there anybody more talented? He's got a law degree, and uh, he's a genius. He's just a real genius and, and brilliant. It's a great, great read.
2: I, I want you to expand a little bit on the on the beauty thing, Ron. Was he talking about that in, ter- in terms of artwork itself, or just even things like comedy, like th- that? Where it, no, it, I think he, he was
1: talking about physical beauty.
2: Physical beauty. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, balance in people's faces, balance. Yeah. And,
1: and and how that works out. And it, 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 it's mind blowing. It really is. Um, Yeah. I, I should, I should, uh, highlight that section, get it to you just so you can read it. Cause I remember thinking, wow, that's, Ed's going to like, Ed Ed would like this one. (laughs) He, he he did a BBC show on faces. Um, Mm. and, and, um, you know he's, he's just an interesting guy and it just it was just great it was just you know you, you kind of climb into his mind uh in these cornell years in this book and it was just really fascinating so i really enjoyed that
2: yeah no sounds like a good one and i you know what you had not talked to me about that book at all so that's that that's that's a surprise you know, i on thought i list. did
1: huh maybe i maybe i was telling rick Payne about it i remember talking to somebody about it and thinking this just blew my mind it's so many different levels yeah. Uh, and, and this Bill Goldman guy, the screenwriter, was fascinating. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. He was great. It was, that was a great seminar they did. Yeah. Together.
2: Cool. All right. Well, you know what? I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cut to our break now try, rather than try to jam another one in here and talk about it. I want to remind everybody that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, there are show notes available as well as previews to upcoming shows on the Soul of Enterprise. Want to ma- really do a shout out to our sponsor, File uh, Expense Reporting, made easy and fun, and really rethinking the entire expense report process. Loved for you to take a look at them at filehq. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com. And also do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast in your favorite podcast player. And many of our listeners use Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Google. But the great thing is that if you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. And also rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have
3: Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa,
2: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome.
1: It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports.
2: Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com.
0: we're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the best books we read in 2021. And Ed, I'm on number two. Okay. And this was an incredibly rollicking read. I could not put this book down. It changes how you think about various time periods throughout history, especially Mm -hmm. American history. It's Engines of Change, A History of the American Dream in 15 Cars by (laughs) Paul Ingrassia. And it is phenomenal. And he says, America's self-image has always been connected to their cars they drove. He says, Who keeps the paperwork from their first computer purchase or names it? Yet certain cars in American history rose above merely defining the people who drove them. Like some movies and books, they define large swaths of the culture and help shape the era and uniquely reflected the spirit of their age. So he documents these 15 cars and you can imagine some of them, right? The model T, the, the LaSalle, mm-hmm. which was the car that's in the theme song to, um, Archie Bunker show, um, all in the family. All in the family. And okay. to, oh, the old LaSalle ran great. That's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. All the way up to the Mustang and the, you know, the Corvette and the Thunderbird and the GTO. and um, it w- It's just a great read. This guy, he's a, a Detroit bureau chief, the Wall Street Journal. And here's how he framed the book. This is a little long, but I love it. He says, a mo- modern American culture is basically a big tug of war. It's a yin versus yang contest between the practical and the pretentious, the frugal versus flamboyant, hot cuisine versus hot wings, uptown versus downtown, big is better versus small is beautiful, and Saturday night versus Sunday morning. Every vehicle in this book represents either practicality or pretension, although a couple of them straddle the great divide. He said, do cars shape the culture or the culture shape the cars? He says, let's just say it's both. You'll read about Henry Ford, Alfred Sloan, John DeLorean, Lee Iacocca, uh, Ferdinand Porsche, um, and also some of the lesser known people, the engineers actually behind these cars. Like the guy behind the Corvette is absolutely fascinating. And here's my favorite line of the book, and here, here's a trigger warning. This has got a quote in it, or a word in it that relates to the female, uh, female body part, but I'm going to say it anyway because I love this. This is from John Steinbeck's, uh, Steinbeck's Cannery Row. He said, someone should write an erudite essay on the moral, physical, and aesthetic effect of the Model T Ford had on the American nation. Two generations of Americans knew more about the Ford coil than the clitoris about the planetary system of gears than the solar system of stars this is a phenomenal read and wow now when i think about <laughs> history uh I, I i always can relate the car to the time period whether it's you know 20s 30s 40s whatever uh, it's just a, a fantastic read especially if you're a car buff you're not going to be able to put this book down
2: interesting and even if you have well i'm not a car person really per se but um it's funny you mentioned naming the car. So you, we, we we talked about this off the air. I I have pulled the trigger on the on the Tesla.
1: Yep. Have you named and it?
2: I have. I have. Okay. Yes. see, it's, it's, see so you are kind already, of a car guy. Already named it. Already named it. Um the name of the car is Keith. <laughs> and Why? the reason the re- the reason for this is like a, a huge convergence of the things all coming together. The the day that I ordered the car was also the day that the New York Mets uh, announced that they were going to retire Keith Hernandez's number, uh, mm-hmm. and he was very moved by this. And he did a TikTok or something, some video where he said, "I want to thank all the fans." While well, I'm sitting here in the in the in the in the parking lot of the the Walmart, recharging my Tesla.
1: <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> so. So it's, we've already named – it's not even in production yet because they are not getting until July, but Keith, the name is Keith.
1: <laughs> Keith. I thought given last week's show, it would have been TNT, but, you know. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> or Alfred well, Noble. <laughs> yeah, 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 there you go. So Keith. <laughs> That's awesome. All
2: right. All right. Uh, I'm up here on uh, – this yep. one is going to be also controversial. I know that you were read this because this is another author we tried to get on that we could not get on The Soul of Enterprise. Uh, and that is the book Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom by Dr. Patrick Moore. And uh, th- this is a, just an in- absolute indictment of the environmental movement. And, man, uh, like, I, I was uh, – I, I, I still think that the planet is warming. But I am f- even more convinced – that it's not as big a de- It's not it's not a, an end of catastrophic event that's going to happen. And I think Patrick Moore just by the way, Patrick Moore was one of the founders of Greenpeace
1: of Greenpeace. <laughs> yes <laughs> okay absolutely. So, that's really so, important. It's a, it's a very important point to make. He's got a PhD in ecology.
2: Yeah PhD in ecology and so just a sample because you know this is one of the things you just don't consider this is I, I, that I didn't know about. First of all, the other thing he p- points out and let's get this out there, the polar bears are fine.
1: It's like the polar,
2: the polar bears are totally
1: fine. And I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a co- there's a commercial running right now all over TV about the you know the, the polar bear on the iceberg you know floating alone. Yep, it's absolute crap. It's propaganda to the hilt, and they do yep. it because it raises money. It Raises money,
2: I mean, and and he's got the data and all of this stuff to prove it. Anyway, he's talking about the, the this it was a, an interesting one. He has first of all, you have to understand that we are still in the plasticine Ice Age. We're, st- we're, st- we're still in it. It's like, that's that we we, we got to understand that. Because an ice age is defined by ha- the, the Earth having caps. by Because ha- there are times when the Earth doesn't have any pol- ice caps at all. And that has happened a- also in the past. So it, until there are no ice caps left, we are still technically in an ice age. Anyway, he said the modern, modern corals evolved from their ancestors 20, two, 20 I'm sorry, 225 million years ago when the climate was far warmer than it is today it remained warmer until 2.6 million years ago when the pleistocene ice age set in so you may wonder if modern corals evolved and survived 225 million years ago when the climate was considered far warmer than it is today why are we told that a small amount of warming threat- threatens their very existence unfortunately the answer is for academic status and money and then he goes on to describe that you can't get a, a study funded at all that says anything contrary to what okay. climate science—you cannot get it funded.
1: That was Jay Bhattacharya's point about Fauci and those other two doctors, Collins and the guy from the UK. Mm-hmm. That we need to separate the grant doling out from the public health officials. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these these functions need to be separated because you're not going to fund an alternative view, mm-hmm. and science is all about skepticism that's yep. how it progresses
2: in fact that's one another great quote from this healthy skepticism at this very heart of scientific inquiry and has played an integral role in determining factual scientific truth observation verification replication
1: so- N- nobody can doubt this guy's green bona fides mm-hmm. nobody to this day he is still you know an environmentalist um mm-hmm. and he i remember reading his first book I think after I heard him on Tom Woods, "Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout: The Making of a Sensible Environmentalist," and it blew my mind. And that's why when I saw this one, I said, "Oh, Ed, you got to read this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, you know, make draw your own conclusions, but read it. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's mind blowing, and it's it's a small little book.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, relatively big
1: wallop. And he, he also did. documents besides the polar bear, he also documents some other big environmental." fiascos or, or just outright lies the pl- there's no the other way to say it. The, the plastic island the plastic island it's it's mm-hmm. an outright lie mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet this stuff is never called out
2: yeah and he also reintroduced me to the concept that i think is most important and i've i've posted and uh, kevin williamson had a great column about this uh, i think it was last week maybe it was this week as well uh, on uh, one of the answers has to be nuclear power got to be it has to
1: be has to be
2: got to be and it's ironic that the, the the same people who who and this is the problem equated nuclear weapons with nuclear power back in the 70s and 80s yep. are now the ones today saying, you know, if if we had allowed nuclear power to develop, we would be so much more ahead and we we, we would reduce our carbon emissions to the point where quite frankly we wouldn't have had to have the shale revolution. Yeah. <laughs> it, it,
1: it's true. And 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 that link was made, of course, the nuclear weapons. And that's why so it was one of their reasons for joining for founding Greenpeace, mm-hmm. you know, besides the whales. Um, right. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, that's a good point.
2: Yeah. Read it and draw your own conclusions. May, you know, and look,
1: I, absolutely. I, the, no matter where we, you are on yeah. the debate. Yep. But, yep. you know, if you don't take in alternative evidence, I mean, look, we're bombarded with the other side. I read The Economist religiously, and they are all in on the existential threat of global warming. And this guy says, no, no, the biggest threat to civilization today is the push to phase out all fossil fuel consumption in 30 years. You mm-hmm. want to kill people? That'll do it. Yeah. Just look at countries that are poor. What are the, one? What's the one thing they need and want? Energy. Mm-hmm. This is the point that Schellenberger made in congressional testimony in front of AOC. Mm-hmm. He said, you want to keep Puerto Rico poor? Just deny them fossil fuel.
2: And, and keep the Jones Act alive.
1: Yeah. And the Dredge Act and every yeah. other stupid act that we have. So. Yeah.
2: so is this on your list or are you just prepared it is. for that one? It, it, okay. it's, in
1: my, it's in my top 10. It's, okay, number, so, okay. it's number nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it it was good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, all right, Ed, I know we've only got two minutes. Maybe I can start on this one. I, I might be able to get through it. It, it. My top top number one book is a tie, so I've got two books I'm going to give you. It was my <laughs> way to work in six. Uh, this one, uh, you know, William Buckley went with his research assistant when he was writing a book to the movie The Lives of Others.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and they walked out of that movie, And Buckley turned to his research assistant and he said, I think I've just seen the best movie of my life. And this was in his, you know, obviously his older years. Um, I feel the same way about this book. It's called Tunnel 29, The True Story of an Extraordinary Escape Beneath the Berlin Wall by Helena Merriman. Um, Now, in all fairness, the GDR called the Berlin Wall an anti fascist protection rampart. Um, but these, this group of people, college students, they tunneled under the wall from the west to the east and they concocted this elaborate scheme to get, you know, 50 or so people out. That relatives, friends, sisters, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, some of them, most of them had a dog in the race. They had somebody on the other side who, you know, family member or something. But the main guy didn't didn't have a dog in the race and they they dug this tunnel and there's actually an NBC documentary that was made of this in 1963 and you can watch it on YouTube it's an hour and a half but folks read the book first because you won't get the context you won't really get what's going on from the documentary which stole the ratings by the way when it ran uh this is so well documented she went into the Stasi files She's talked to the, uh, a lot of the players were still alive when she was writing this and researching it, so she'd sit in their apartment and interview them, and she talks and she gives you a little flavor of that in the book. It, it is spellbinding. It reads like a great novel, uh, and she just did a great job, and it's just a heroic story, and it just shows you man's yearning for freedom. Mm-hmm. is is <clears throat> overpowering and how creative we are and what we'll do to get it. Great stuff. All right. Well, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at com. As Ed said, go out to rate this podcast slash TSOE, and you can give us a rating. And if you write us a rating, good, bad, or indifferent, we will read it on the air. And now we want to hear from our sponsor and Ed's employer, Sage.
0: us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
2: Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package price market and deliver additional services to clients increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients let sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com well let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor file f-y-l-e we saw a demo of this thing and it's really awesome
1: It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating.
2: Yeah. And of course, it integrates with all of
1: the accounting software out there. Yeah. And they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system. So you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports.
2: Yep. So check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com.
3: Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for five dollars, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much, every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense. Like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to Patreon.com/tso. And subscribe today, please, for the love of God, make it stop. Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcast and download Oh, oh My, My Fraud. fraud.
0: we're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise doing our best books of 2021. And Ron, this is going to be a book that um, probably no one else will read with the exception of maybe our listener, Adrian Simmons. (laughs) Um, uh, It it was uh, of of extreme interest to me. I read it at the very end of the year. In fact, I got it as a Christmas present and and, uh, read it in between Christmas and New Year's Day. Uh, The book is called Reclaiming Vatican II by Father Blake Uh Britton. And I have uh, really, really enjoyed this book. Um, and and it, one of the reasons is, is, is I'm, a, I'm a, obviously practicing Catholic, I've, I've talked about that, and uh, how Vatican II was really distorted by, by both uh, sides of, of this they, with complete misunderstandings of what, what Vatican II was all, all about. Basically what happened, this guy says, is that they were, there was a, what, what he calls the para, well, this is named after somebody else. Let me get the guy's name to give him proper credit. Henri Labouc, Labouc, uh calls the para-council, the para-council. So not the actual council itself, but what happened on the side, on the side of it, it's almost a sidebar that caused these, these challenges. And he, he, there's a, three aspects of the para council the council of theologians the council of the media and then the council of the age and what he says was is that the theologians got together and basically interpreted through their own eyes what they saw the council is actually doing even before they released the documents this got a the media then got a hold of this reinterpreted it it the the story the narrative got out there that this is what was happening the the both sides of the debate latched onto it. One implemented what they thought the council said or was going to say. The other one then rebelled against it. And he says, you know what? If we actually go back and read the documents themselves, you're going to find that the, the council is does not say anything like, get, eliminate all Latin from the mass. Hmm. It, it, it does not say that you must turn your altars around. In fact, he gives some very good reasons for Having a point in the in, in the mass now where the, the priest should turn around and f- what it was called uh, Oriens uh, face 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 the East uh, Because it's not supposed to be a celebration where the priest is the leader It's the priest is the person who is is the, the closest to to God and representing the community in a prayer upwards. Anyway, mm. I, I doubt that anybody in our listening audience, uh, with with very few exceptions, is going to find that 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 this is a book. But if we happen to have uh, f- folks uh, out there who are interested in all in in the, in theology, especially Catholic theology, and how Vatican II got implemented in our local churches, and, and more importantly, what can be done to really resurrect Vatican II and and do some important things that I think would would uh, Bring the, bring the Catholic Church more together, uh, and that's the other one of the things. The other points out, he says, there really is no such thing in religions as as conservatives and liberals. He says that's the media right, in- right, interpreting right, the right. way way things are, or there says, shouldn't there, be. Yeah, there yeah, shouldn't yeah. be. There 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 are different different uh, sides of the debate on how Vatican II got implemented, but they're not necessarily uh, conservative versus liberal. He says that's a that's a that's a thing we have to get out of thinking about that that way. Anyway, um, so I'll, I'll stop talking because I'm sure that very few people are going to be interested in this book, but if there are, I highly recommend it.
1: <laughs> Wish we could get rid of that thinking too with the Supreme Court. But uh, yeah, I've I read a little bit about that, Ed, mostly through William F. Buckley and some mm-hmm. of the folks at National Review talk about it. Buckley really lamented the passing of the Latin Mass. He he he, he, he kept going to a church that did it. Yes, um, and that's, the, it, that's it, the
2: the Pius X. Uh, group and that 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 but that was a rebellion to the implementation of what really wasn't in Vatican II and that's what the whole point was. is that was completely unnecessary. That right. that 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 we, it was complete misinterpretation of what should have gone on. Excellent. Yep.
1: All right. My other tie for number one and it's number one for the same reason. Tunnel Twenty Nine is number one. I couldn't put it down. I do think it was one of the best. Is one of the best books I've read in a long time but for a different reason, obviously tunnel 29 history reads like a novel, but you know, you know, the setting, you know, what was going on. This one is by Vivek Ramaswamy. It's called woke Inc inside Mm. corporate America's social justice scam. I know you've read this ed, Mm -hmm. and I know we're going to be doing a show on it. So suffice it to say, I'll just say this gentleman graduated from Harvard grew up in Ohio. He he's got a degree in molecular biology he became a hedge fund partner then he got went to Yale got his law school got his law degree and then he founded and started Royvent R O I which is deliberate R O I V A N T Royvent Sciences which makes produces drugs drug company and now he he has stepped down from that role to allow him to speak out he's also got investments in a few tech companies and he's uh philanthropically very active today. He's all all over social media since this book has come out. I I do think this is one of the most thought-provoking books I've ever read. It, I'm still processing a lot of his ideas. This book is deep. Uh, it's also very personal. He gives a lot of personal stories, but he's taken on the woke. He's just taken on the whole woke thing, much like McWhorter, mm-hmm. but with a business focus. And here here's one of the lines from the book. He said, I'm fed up with corporate America's game of pretending to care about justice in order to make money. It demands that a small group of investors and CEOs determine what's good for society. It's not just ruining companies, it's polarizing our politics. And how does he uh, define woke? Basically, being woke means obsessing about race, gender, and sexual orientation. Maybe climate change too. Once corporations discovered wokeness, the inevitable happened. They used it to make money. Wokenomics is crony capitalism 2.0 and here's how it works. Big businesses use progressive friendly values to deflect attention from its own monolithic pursuit of profit and power. And he gives example after example after example of this throughout the book. It's incredibly well documented. This guy writes like a lawyer. He just lays out brick by brick by brick by brick. And he says crony capitalism 1.0 was at least straightforward. The companies gave campaign contributions to legislatures in return for favorable legislative treatment. But now we've got you know all this ESG thing. What's a green fund? Now we've got the SEC trying to define what a green fund is. Mm-hmm. Right, There's a very nebulous turn. You want to talk about subjective, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, of course, each of the components of ESG have conflicting uh, goals and ends. They, there's nothing but tradeoffs here. And his book is just phenomenal at going through all this. And I just, it, it, if if you're concerned as as I am about the whole woke issue in business, if you don't want red and blue companies, this is the book for you. Woke Inc. Vivek Ramaswamy, it is a blockbuster.
2: Not on my list because I hadn't finished it yet. So <clears throat> gotcha. I'm, I'm still. I got. I got deflected by my my book on reclaiming Vatican II. <laughs> all right
1: all right ed what's up uh what's up coming up next week
2: next week ron we have our interview with chris edwards on how wealth fuels growth
1: i love chris edwards he's a one of the three people in the country that knows more about tax than anybody chris edwards been following him for decades Yep, i'll see you in 167 hours This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com for full show notes on each show. Also, the show's coming up, and you can contact Ed or me at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.